Hello, my name is Jeff Farrell and this is the seventh in our series of podcasts in which we talk about topical technology issues in the 5G and satellite industry. You can also read or download a written version of these talks from our website rttonline.com. This month we are going to talk about the likelihood and potential scale of a value shift from terrestrial to space-based communication network. In the 1980s, Nicholas Negroponte observed that it was only due to an accident of engineering history that static devices, such as domestic TV, were serviced by radio waves, whereas devices that were personal, such as the telephone, remained connected by cable. Negroponte suggested that a transition would occur with TV connected by cable, copper and fibre and telephones connected via wireless networks. Popularised by George Gilder, this became known as the Negroponte switch. So the title of this month's technology topic is Another Negroponte. Like many predictions, Professor Negroponte was partly right. In the 1980s, mobile phones were still considered to be niche products used by business users, but this was to change dramatically through the 1990s. A few of us still have fixed-line telephones connected by a twisted pair, but we are a vanishing minority. But other parts of the prediction have taken longer to happen than might have been expected. Many countries, including the UK, many people, still watch terrestrial TV, delivered at the lower end of the UHF band. The number of terrestrial TV subscribers is reducing over time, but it seems likely that terrestrial TV will be with us for at least the next 10 years. The TV part of the Negroponte switch would have happened, but taken nearly 40 years. The slow rate of transition for TV services can be partly explained by slow broadband connections over cable and copper, and the fact that fibre to the home remains far from universal, even in urban areas. In many markets, terrestrial TV remains the lowest cost option, both for the subscriber and the broadcaster. It is hard to compete with 80 years of network amortisation. So the open question is whether another switch is beginning to happen from Earth to space. Delivering universal fibre to the home is expensive, and it may just be possible that many existing and future services presently delivered over terrestrial guided media, cable, copper and fibre, could be delivered more efficiently from space. Similarly, the capex and opex costs of delivering universal demographic and geographic coverage from terrestrial wireless networks could be higher than delivering the same services in space. This has already happened to an extent with the shift from terrestrial TV to satellite TV. Early C-band satellite TV deployments, that's between 3.7 and 4.2 GHz, remain widely used in Africa, Asia and Latin America. KU-band, that's 10 to 12 GHz, has been widely deployed throughout the developed world and KA-band allocations between 18 and 20 GHz have been assigned for high-definition and ultra-high-definition broadcasting. It could be argued that this transition has been driven by a shift in content ownership, particularly sports rights, but space economics have certainly helped. Companies such as Viasat are shifting the present essentially passive space-based consumer content delivery model to active, higher-value internet access, two ways, well, of course. In the longer term, a more sustainable economic proposition. The potential facilitators for this ongoing shift of space can be summarised as lower-cost launch capabilities, lower-cost space hardware, more RF power and more RF bandwidth. Flat panel active and passive arrays in particular can achieve significant link budget improvements. Next generation Viasat geostationary satellites, for example, have a throughput of 1000 gigabits per second. 
Multiply this by the number of geostationary slots available, it's 180 assuming 2 degrees separation, and multiply this again, assuming multiple satellites are co-located at each slot, and you have a combined GSO throughput of hundreds of terabits per second, a figure that even Arthur C. Clarke would have found difficult to comprehend 70 years ago. Co-location, where separate satellites seen from Earth seem to be apparently at the same place, has been historically complex to manage. Multiple satellites have to be contained within a 150-kilometre box, but separated by about 5 kilometres from other satellites in the group to avoid collision or mutual interference. This has to be achieved with a minimum use of fuel to avoid shortening the life of the satellites. The alternative is to station keep using iron thrusters, electric propulsion, or to dock two or more satellites together, sometimes described as buddy sats. Buddy sats have become more viable due to the progress being made in GSO robotic servicing. Supplement the rapidly expanding power and RF bandwidth of geostationary satellites with the bandwidth and RF power available from new high-count, medium and low-Earth orbit satellite constellations and upgraded legacy LEO constellations. The RIGIM successfully launched another 10 next-to-constellation satellites on the SpaceX rocket last week, and you have a step-function increase in capacity and functional capability. But the Iridium Next constellation highlights that this is not just about consumer connectivity, but a mixed model of military, civilian and consumer connectivity with communications as an important, but by no means dominant, part of the delivery offer. This takes us back to March 23rd, 1983, and an address to the nation speech by President Ronald Reagan, which came to be known as his Star Wars speech that coincided with the Return of the Jedi, the third of the Star Wars films. The speech set out the rationale for an increase in defence spending on space-based missile interception. Realising systems that actually worked took longer than the President or Congress anticipated and cost a lot more, but 35 years on, space-based weapon and defence systems are becoming progressively more cost-effective and capable, spurred on by the North Koreans at the moment. The Boeing-built X-37B is one example of the advantage of an orbital rather than sub-orbital platform it would be hard to find a way of keeping an F-35 in flight for two years. It is relatively easy in space. It is also hard to take out space-based defence systems and relatively easy to take out terrestrial-based assets such as aircraft carriers. Even submarines are arguably now vulnerable to space-based attack, which makes you wonder why you're investing so much money in new aircraft carriers and nuclear submarines. The developing military and commercial importance of space was recognised in April 2016 when Congressman Jim Bridenstine, the Republican representative of Oklahoma's 1st Congressional District, sponsored the US Space Renaissance Act. The Act describes space as the ultimate high ground and argues the case for more intensive use by the military, civilian satellite systems both for imaging and reconnaissance, attack detection and space-based interception. Space is also considered as crucial to future cyber security, though China, rather than the US, has been making most of the recent headlines with its successful distribution of quantum cryptographic keys from the MICES Low Earth Orbit Satellite, achieving a distance of 1,200 kilometres, ten times the distance achieved to date over terrestrial fibre. New capabilities are also being introduced into Earth exploration satellites at 26 gigahertz. Over 150 of these satellites have been launched in the last 10 years, with more than 350 planned by 2025. These satellites collect terabytes of imaging and atmospheric data, which need to be beamed back to Earth in bands which the 5G community would like to use. Last but not least, new GNSS constellations have been launched. Japan's Michibiki-2 satellite, Michibiki means guidance in Japan, 
is now operational and is the second of four satellites in a quasi-zenith constellation with three satellites in inclined geosynchronous orbits and one in geostationary orbit. From the geosynchronous orbits, you get a figure eight ground track over Japan with one spacecraft always within 30 degrees of zenith. The constellation will be operational in 2018 with another three satellites being added by 2024 and will broadcast the GPS-compatible L1, that's L1CA, L1C, L1S, L2C, L5, L5S and L6 signals. The 4,000 kilogram satellites have a design life of 15 years, the end of which they will each still be producing over 6 kilowatts of power. The end result is centimetre accurate positioning needed for construction and earthquake detection and enhanced coverage for automotive and intelligent transport systems. Hitachi Automotive Systems, the Denso Corporation and Japan Radio Company have set up a new joint venture called the Global Positioning Augmentation Service to develop these markets. All of which highlights that some things can only be done from space, some things can be done better from space, and some things can be done at lower cost from space. It might seem ridiculous to suggest that satellite networks could take over from terrestrial networks. Talking to a base station 50 metres away must be more efficient than talking to a satellite hundreds or thousands of kilometres away. But the cost differential may be reducing over time, and it depends how you calculate efficiency and added value. Dense terrestrial networks are not intrinsically power efficient and incur expensive site and backhaul operational costs. Moving to the centimetre and millimetre wavelengths increases the amount of RF bandwidth available, but much of the available RF power will be lost in surface scatter. By comparison, satellite networks can scale from VHF to E-band and from 2km radius cells to 1200km radius cells. They have much more dynamic range than terrestrial networks. The nearly always nearly overhead line-of-sight coverage available from high satellite count LEO and MEO constellations or mixed orbit constellations will minimise surface scatter. There is no rent to pay in space and a limitless supply of free electricity. So it is feasible that there is a crossover point where many mobile and fixed services presently serviced from terrestrial wireless and wireline, fibre, cable and copper networks, could be serviced more efficiently and at lower cost from space. Integration with other space-based services such as GNSS will also be potentially more efficient and effective. And quasi-zenith satellites are an example of the innovation taking place in this area. Through the 1980s, financial analysts consistently underestimated the growth and profit potential of the cellular industry. It is possible that the growth and profit potential of the satellite industry today is being similarly underestimated. Another Negroponte may be closer than we realise, although of course it might take 40 years. You can learn more about these topics uh, by coming to one of our 5G satellite workshops. You can find information on that on our website, rttonline.com. By buying one of our books, you've got the 5G book, 5G Spectrum and Standards, came out about 18 months ago now, um, or older but still worth reading, Making Telecoms Work, which was uh, published by John Wiley a while ago. So go to our website, rttonline.com, or wait for our next podcast in August, which will be about, well, not quite decided yet, but it'll be about something suitably interesting and topical. Talk to you soon. Bye.